Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and distress, restructuring and post-reorg in the European SEMA markets. It's Tuesday, July the 12th. I'm Giulia Rusconi. And I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, editor Robert Schack is here with an update on Hilding Anders' restructuring plan. Staff writer Katarina Dassi speaks to EMEA Covenants paralegal Aaron Spence about 888 Holdings, which finally got its new debt package over the line last week. I'll be catching up with editor Magnus Sherman for the latest on Ukraine's state oil and gas company Naftagas and the state's sovereign debt situation. But first, we noted that recently some direct lenders have lowered the leverage they're willing to offer to support the buyout of some companies we cover. Our reporter Lucia Kamblor is here today to discuss some of these deals. Lucia, could you tell us what you have observed? Hi, Julia. Yes, thank you. It is an interesting time because deals are happening and activities for companies with an enterprise value of 50 million to up to 500 million euros has been busy so far this year, according to Deloitte's alternative lender deal tracker for this Q1. And this trend is expected to continue in the second half of the year too. What we have observed is that since all the geopolitical and macro uncertainty, direct lenders have been waiting for a new benchmark to emerge for pricing. And what we are seeing is that leverage on debt being offered to back these buyouts has dropped by about half or a full turn. Okay, so could you give us some examples? Sure, some recent examples are the secured 700 million unit tranche provided by HBS partners alongside other direct lenders to finance TPG Global's acquisition of Italian generic drug maker Doc Generisi. The financing package was leveraged at six-time EBITDA, one turn lower than the seven-time leverage targeted in February and March. Lenders have also cut the leverage they are willing to offer to debt finance the sale of UK manufacturer Technical Fire Safety Group to about four times leverage from between 4.5 times and five times earlier on in the process. Okay, so why are direct lenders reducing the leverage they're offering? Direct lenders are increasingly stepping up in large buyout financing as volatility continues to affect the broadly syndicated market. However, the current challenging market environment is forcing direct lenders to lower leverage in debt transactions to match their investors' appetite for lower risk. Essentially, large investors tend to provide capital to several debt funds. If all the debt funds participate in the same deal, like a club deal, this means that the risk for investors is not diversified. For this reason, we have also seen some debt funds withdrawing from deals rather than forming a consortium with other lenders. Hello, Magnus. Nice of you to join us again. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since you've uh, been on the podcast and there have been several changes in the Ukraine picture. Can you fill us in? Yeah, it's been uh, a couple of uh, eventful weeks. Um, if we look at the sovereign, we have uh, the situation there where the uh, the, the sovereigns of the finan- Ministry of Finance in Kiev um, has continued to pay on its eurobond since the start of the war. So that's almost five months now. And that may be about to change because um, there was a recently a, a development at the state-owned uh, Naftogas. Uh, it's an oil and gas company owned by the government. They announced last week that they are launching a liquidity review, and that's, um, I mean, I guess normal in this um, in this situation because of the, the strain on the company. But the review comes only two weeks before a bond maturity of $335 million. 
um, the first one after the, the breakout of the war. And so some investors are thinking that this may be a signal that the government is about to change its course and stop servicing uh, the state debt and the state guaranteed debt um, also at, um, at Naftogaz. So this development has um, caused the bond prices of both Naftogaz and Ukraine to fall dramatically, The both bonds, uh, the 22s are in the 40s now and the bondholders are, are getting organized. And uh, what kind of proposal or measure could the could the government take on this like how could how could they address this issue do you think yeah i mean there's really uh, i think only very few options here because you, normally what you would do you would have a in a non-war situation you would you would build a a, a financial forecast and then say what can we sustain over the next fi- say five or ten years or whatever um, in this case you can't do that because there's an ongoing major war going on so you don't really know what you can assume going forward so I think that really only leaves a standstill where you simply stop paying without defaulting it's very important for Ukraine to uh, maintain good relations with Western investors um, or you could um, you could do an amend and extend um, there was a proposal well an, an idea floated by a former NBU governor to us um, about two weeks ago um, to simply extend every maturity by five or ten years so that uh, Ukraine and its state-owned enterprises don't have these bulky uh, maturity payments to make because they could probably still get on with just servicing the debt and so pay pay the interest on these bonds. And have we spoken to any holders who take a view on that? Well, I imagine they all take a view on it, but... uh what are they telling us? I mean, it's very, it's it's very. Um, it, it, I'm sensing a lot of frustration because um, you're getting one message uh, one week. Uh, Naftogaz, for instance, was on the record with us saying that they're definitely paying as late as in May. So this is a major turnaround for them, and of course a very negative one for bondholders. And then yesterday there was a new development where uh, the state-owned railway company Ukraselenitsia announced very publicly on social media that they had actually paid interest on their euro bonds. So that sends a, a new signal again to investors. Um, so people are sort of just sitting back and watching. Uh, I mean, you can prepare with lawyers, but again, um, there, there isn't that much to do apart from um, looking at a standstill option or maybe an amend and extend. Um, but, uh, but these are really the options on the table at this point. Online betting company AAA Holdings was able to get the debt package to found its acquisition of William Hill over the line last week, after struggling with difficult market conditions and the deal being somewhat overshadowed by expected gambling industry reforms in the UK. Emea Covenant senior paralegal Aaron Spence has been following the deal. Aaron, how did they finally get it done? Hi Katarina. Yes, it it it. After delayed roadshow, it was finally able to price its bond offering last Friday. Not only were investors compensated with a hefty yield for undertaking the risk associated, they were also able to achieve significant pushback for more favourable terms. And so, what terms saw the biggest changes and what did the pushback achieve for investors? Well, most of the key considerations raised by Amea Covenants in our report were addressed by the pushback from investors. We saw basket size reduced, ratios tightened, and certain calculation flexibilities were removed. And as a result, covenant capacities reduced across the board, most notably with priming debt and value leakage reducing by just under a third a turn of EBITDA. And also was removed was the ability to carve out asset sale proceeds from the sweep subject to leverage. Yeah, so we've seen a rise of stress on the European market 
How did AAA address it in its documentation? Well, AAA included many calculation flexibilities in its bond documentation that would significantly enhance covenant capacities and help the group navigate through periods of stress. So it was good to see that investors picked up on this and pushed for its removal. The permission to exclude debt for working capital purposes from ratios was removed, and we actually had seen a rise of this flexibility in the first half of 2022, as it featured in over a quarter of deals in our market maker bonds database, compared to just over 15% in 2021. The ability to carry back capacity from one year into the present year was also removed, as the scope for synergies and ABACs were also tightened. In the market reaction page in our market maker bonds database, we meticulously track investor pushback and documentation changes across the European high yield market. Sweden-based mattress maker Hilding Anders started restructuring talks with its lenders at the beginning of this year, after facing a covenant breach and effectively losing access to over half of its earnings, which were regenerated by its Russian joint venture Ascona. After many months of radio silence, the KKR-owned company finally re released um, this restructuring proposal to the wider syndicate. Rob, can you walk us through um, the main points of what the company is proposing? Hi, Julia. So Hilding currently has about 570 million euros of outstanding senior debt, comprising 510 million under its term loan B, 46.5 million drawn under its RCF, as well as accrued interest. It's proposing to reinstate 300 million euros into a new senior facility maturing in February 2026, which will pay 5% cash and 1.25% in PIC. The remaining 270 million euros will be hived off into a Holdco note paying 12% PIC. KKR will remain in control and will receive contingent value rights that will convert into a debt claim at the Holdco level in the event of a sale of the company. Okay, so the reinstated debt is due 2026. It seems to be relatively short-dated, doesn't it? How does that provide a business with a sustainable capital structure? You're right, it doesn't really. So the deal basically just buys the stakeholders some time to run an um, orderly sale process for the company without coming across as a distressed seller. So under the terms of the deal, by next year, they will uh, need to appoint M&A advisors. Um, and then they're expected to, to launch a formal sale process at the beginning of 2024. Oh, interesting. So that doesn't seem to offer lenders any upside. Why did the proposal not feature any debt equitization, for example, like, like sure flexible restructuring that we discussed in May, um, or at least some warrants? Um, it's true. So it does seem unusually sponsor friendly. Um, in this case, the main reason was Hilding's um, Russian business, the, the uh, Ascona JV, which accounted for over half the group's EBITDA in 2021. Um, in the context of all the current international sanctions at the moment following Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, um, the lenders are very, very concerned about any direct or indirect ownership of a Russian business. The other reason was that very little debt of, had traded out in the run-up of uh, negotiations, and the final um, lender group was still largely comprised of par lenders um, who, are, who are mainly CLOs. Um, from their perspective, taking a haircut would have been very, very painful because they would have then had to mark the, the loans to market, which would have a direct impact on their over-collateralization tests. Um, even if some of the debt is shifted to the holdco level and is quasi-equity, CLOs can basically still market at par when it comes to the OC tests as long as it carries a rating and they don't exceed their triple C buckets. And this is particularly important because if CLOs breach their OC tests, some 70% of their management fees are cut off and applied to debt paid on. So overall, it sounds to me like a, a good deal for KKR? 
Under the circumstances it is, since the sponsor is basically not putting in any more new money but will share in the proceeds of the disposal of the business. However, it leaves the group with a very tight liquidity position while it tries to grow its residual European and Asian business. Okay, so how do they manage to deal with uh, international sanctions on investing in Russian companies? So Hilding will retain its 73% stake in Ascona via Cyprus Incorporated Holding Company. The Russian business is self-funding, so Hilding will not need to provide any further investment, nor will it receive any dividends or cash out. It'll simply retain its stake in the business until a time when it can realize some value from a sale. And that approach makes a huge amount of sense. When you look at recently what happened with Werner, um, a, a Dutch specialist plastic packaging company, it decided to exit Russia and, and sold off all its operations there to a Dubai-based holding company, but effectively had to sell it for, for zero, for nothing. Okay, so now what happens next? So basically now um, Hilding's lenders have roughly another two weeks left to agree to the proposal and sign the lockups. Hilding needs um, unanimity to push through the proposal, and if it falls short of that, it's going to try and implement the deal via UK scheme of arrangement, which would require a 75% threshold. Given that the ad hoc group already represents 60% of the outstanding debt, um, it should be able to clear the 75% um, percent threshold, um, especially also when you take into consideration that the um, uh, term loan and RCF lenders would likely vote together in a single class. So it certainly seems like they're going to get this deal through one way or the other. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Rob. Reorg's Asia team will be hosting a webinar next week to discuss Macau's amended gaming law, which is set to take effect in the second half of the year. New concessions will replace the existing licenses expiring in December following a six-month extension and may impact the operational, financial and regulatory landscape for casino operators. Senior analyst Jeff Burton will be joined by guest lawyers Tiago Asuncao and Daniel Da Silva y Melo from Manuela Antonio, as well as Reorg's senior credit analyst Leong Leon, to discuss key legal issues raised by the amendments alongside other regulatory milestones to note in the second half of 2022. That's Macau Gaming, an overview of upcoming regulatory changes, on Wednesday, July 20th, 5pm Hong Kong time or 10am BST. Registration details are available on the Reorg website. As always, more information on all of the situations discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.